Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. All right, today is Friday, June 12th. It's part two of our conversation on racism. Thomas Chanel was with us in part one and he's returning. Thomas is a solutions architect at uh, Red Hat and he lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome back, Thomas. Hey, thank you for having me back. Additionally, joining us today, we have Toussaint Brock Cunningham from Dell Technologies. Toussaint is a product marketing manager at Dell. Welcome, Toussaint. Thank you. Thank you for the welcome. Thank you for the invite. It's great to have you guys on. You're in Atlanta. Do I have that right? Yes. Yes. I'm based in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. Awesome. Good deal. Family out there. Well, thank you all <laughs> for being here. Tyler, do you have any uh, Do you have any questions you want to kick it off with right away? I, You know, I don't know if questions are the, the right way to say it. I have just, I've been really happy to see how engaged at least the tech community that I'm a part of has been getting into this conversation. Because as we talked about earlier around the last episode, I think it was, it was a very uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people, myself included. And uh, it was very cathartic for me to have the conversation we had with Thomas earlier. And I've, I've noticed that I'm just having conversations with people in general about how they feel about this, you know, friends, family experiences, stuff like that. And um, I was really happy to see how much VMware is doing. I work for VMware and our leadership is being very vocal about support for Black Lives Matter and racial injustice in general. And uh, it's we've had a couple of sessions, like all hands sessions, where people have shared stories. And I've just been taking notes and trying to sort of make mental notes for myself to have conversations with my kids and stuff like that. And I think like the questions I, I have for just about anyone that's willing to talk with me about it is, you know, are, are you open to sharing some of your experiences so that I can sort of educate myself from a, an empathy perspective, right? I realized that my world is very, well, North Texas, where I've spent most of my adult life and most of my you know childhood, right? And so it, it is a vacuum of sorts in some ways. It's a very diverse community, but it's it's very it's a microcosm of the the nation of the world, right? So I'm looking for opportunities to just educate myself. So I'd I'd love to just honestly hear your perspective and see where this goes. Hey Toussaint, were you yeah. on that so as Tyler mentioned, the there was like I guess a sounds like you guys had something similar to our moment of reflection that we had at mm-hmm. Dell. Toussaint, were you did you participate in that? Yep. Yep. We're actually a part of uh, the Black Network Alliance. So, yeah. Oh, awesome. Oh, awesome. Good. Yeah. That, that, that was, that was probably the most, not probably, it was definitely the most impactful meeting at Dell I've ever been on. I don't know. I want to hear your take on it, but for those of y'all that don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Michael Dell held um, a moment of reflection with the Black Network Alliance and there were over 28,000 people from 78 countries on there. What, what was your take on it? I thought it was powerful being someone, I'm from Chicago, I'm from the south side of Chicago, the inner city, um, and having seen a lot of different things impact family, friends, those around me at a young age, but but growing up as well. I, I look for certain things in different messages, in different um, kind of communications, set off certain triggers kind of pertaining to um, even Michael Dell's comments around racism and the repeated acts 
So to to kind of put that in perspective to that says to the black community, like, okay, this isn't something that is a siloed issue. This isn't something that is happening here or there. There is a bad cop or bad apples because, you know, there's an awful lot of bad apples for no good apples to know any of these people. So so I think that the 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 event was very powerful. Um, it, it's great and refreshing to, to work for a company like Dell Technologies where we're supported in our kind of acts of being vocal and wanting to, to, to speak out for just what's right for humanity, I think is big. So it was great to hear Michael's message specifically on the call, but it was also um, just great to see the attendance with people, like you said, all across the world who were um, dialing in and and being supportive of of their teammates as well, because a lot of these individuals may not fall under that category as far as police brutality coming to their front door per se. But at the same time, they're working with people that fall under that category. And I think we even need to get specific as far as, you know, diversity and inclusion. I think those words or phrases have even begin, the waters have murkied, if you will. Mm. Um, because that's a good call out because a lot of times, you know, diversity is, you know, we don't, we don't want to make sure that we're checking the box and saying people of color, because speaking as a, as a black male from Chicago, I only see individuals like myself in the streets being killed. That's not to say that it's not going on. However, I just see individuals like myself being killed in the streets. So let's get concise and understand the specific plights of specific ethnic groups of people, because different groups of people have different plights and people of color may generalize that and kind of lead individuals to believe they're checking a box if they, you know, are hiring people of color or giving, you know, people of color opportunities and things like that. So I think it's important that that was highlighted and just to see the, the, the great camaraderie and in, in the, in the team kind of um, the teamwork and um, everything that went into it was just great to see from my perspective, for sure. That's yeah, really that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. The, the way that Zoom, like, and I forget uh, the woman that was asking the questions that was running it, but she would say, uh, you know, we were talking about something or she, she was talking about something. She was like, okay, everyone write down how, you know, such and such makes you feel right. Um, mm-hmm. or, you know, what you think we need to do or whatever. And then just to see the zoom chat, like catch fire. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. it was wild. It was, I'm getting like goosebumps right now. just thinking about it, but I'm curious your take too. So the, the 2030 goals that Michael rolled out, I want to say maybe middle of last year or something. Mm-hmm. or late last year goals such as you know by 20 it, these are the 2030 goals like 50 percent of the global workforce and 40 percent of our global people leaders will be women mm-hmm. and then it said by 2030 25 percent of our u.s workforce and 15 percent of our uh, u.s people leaders will be black slash african-american and hispanic slash latino minorities 25 percent it said and then if you click on the little arrow and it says we're expanding access to technology training and education to widen our talent pipeline for minorities so that they better reflect the cultural diversity in our communities. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? I think it's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I think that, that we're in a, in a position now that we have to crawl before we walk yeah. and really begin to educate people because now I feel that, yeah. you know, we've, we've gotten the attention of, um, of the world. And, um, I think having, leaders take that kind of stand and is just powerful. And, and I'm just, you know, 
one employee, obviously, in a, in a, in a very large company. But I feel that, that, that my story is unique and I feel that that it's important to understand, you know, the the plights of people and to say specifically management positions or director titles or senior directors or whatever that may look like. That is impactful as well because that threads the needle, because if it was just, you know, hiring a certain amount of people of color, you know, that would have made a, created a general cloud above it where it can kind of be perceived in, in many different ways. But specific, specifically saying black Latino, that that really threads the needle management positions because those are going to be people of power with influence. That's how we create larger opportunities by putting those who understand and who empathize with those individuals, because, you know, it's all about perception. And I think understanding the people that you're attracting and understanding what they need in order to be supported is important as well, because you, you have to understand if you're you're hiring blacks or Latinos, you're going to be taking them a lot of times out of, outside of their communities. So you need to create that ramp up process. You need to create those those type of streamlined communications, whatever they may be, in order to create that that bubble for them where they can be successful and focus on their role. Because a lot of times, you know, you, you can't pull a an African-American girl from New Orleans and put her in the middle of Vermont or, for example, and say, run. You know, it's it's a it's a difficult dynamic to manage. And you want to and you want to ensure that they're able to actually focus on what they're what they're doing. So I think having those type of people rise up and, you know, take on those leadership positions or be hired externally, whatever the case may be. I think that's powerful because I think that'll really move the needle because a lot of times, you know, the diversity a lot of times is at the bottom. And until we begin to infiltrate and penetrate, if you will, more so the the upper ranks, we will never have that type of influence until we have the, those type of opportunities to have those positions. Talk about influence and, and to, you know, borrow your words too, threading the needle. I, I think there's probably also a very good argument for having a more diverse leadership group and having people emerge as sort of the in the news personalities for companies specific to, to STEM in this case, because it also drives a higher level of interest from a broader set of communities at an educational level, right? Making sure that kids want to be in uh, STEM roles from every community so that there's a broader pool to draw from too. And then they're emboldened to say, yeah, I, I can be as successful as I imagine myself in those areas. That's a really good point. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think understanding the entire contextual like root of the issue, because, you know, there are different plights of, of obviously we talked about different people, but even, you know, I feel like the black community is going, you know, is under two pandemics, if you will. We have the pandemic that is COVID-19, but what I like to refer to as America's pandemic as to hmm. we do not want white males, females growing up, understanding our role in building this country. I think that's that that's really big. And until those individuals are educated, you know, they will look at black history as a moth instead of what we've really contributed. And you see all of these conversations about, you know, 
I'm a big sports guy, so you see Drew Brees' tone deaf comments and golly, um, I cannot yeah, believe that was a yeah, mess. those type of things. And when you have, <laughs> dude, and he came out. Sorry, I'm sorry, you got me wrong. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead, man. finish what you're saying. It's just you know you can't be that type. You can't be tone deaf in those type of situations nah. and have the audacity to say that your grandfathers were fighting and you know for the country, and that's true. However, there were black soldiers who were fighting directly side, right beside your grandfather, and they came back to this country and couldn't get a job and couldn't yeah. didn't get any benefits, and their families still don't have benefits, and they're willing to die. So it's time to call a spade a spade, and I think just having people understand specifically what has been going on, and it doesn't always go on on video. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I don't, I don't want to miss this opportunity either. Thomas, did uh, Red Hat, did they, did they get as involved have they been vocal about this are you seeing leadership is it a similar experience on your side so yeah paul cormier you know gave his statements about supporting you know the black community and uh, uh, they have decided that they're going to donate a contribution uh to us um and we had uh what and to us i mean uh, build the blacks united in leadership diversity that's our organization here that's you know basically advocating on our behalf. And Red Hat has been, you know, supportive in this with, you know, helping us with a financial contrib- contribution. Uh, I've attended meetings like such as one last week with, they basically had a psychologist come and provide a space of healing and to explain like some of the feelings that we may be going through and even physical things that we may be dealing with as a result of what went on last week. And last week was like really exhausting. I don't know if it was for you guys, but having these conversations got really, really tiresome. Um, But one thing that I was hopeful for is that somebody who I was on the other side and what I mean by the other side, by saying, you know, like they didn't see the systemic problems in our nation with racism. He went back and apologized for being basically ignorant to not understanding and seeing the the other side. So that makes me very happy to see that there are people who don't understand but are willing to have these conversations and to be educated and informed. So, yeah. And I've even been doing my part on, you know, as far as, you know, maybe giving even like me and my wife, we, you know, gave water bottles to the protesters, the people on the front lines, you know, advocating for, you know, Black Lives Matter. And I, I want to clarify that I am for the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, some of the people I spoke to last week felt that <laughs> I didn't uh, establish that. So I just want to say that and establish that. Interesting. So, yeah. That's interesting. And I didn't course, get that take. Movement as well. No, I mean, Great. Oh, great. I'm glad. And there you I go. Didn't... All right. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> As we're, we're definitely for the Black Lives Matter. That's not clear. For George yeah. Floyd, we need justice for Breonna Taylor. We need justice yeah, for definitely. every black male and female that has been killed at the hands yes. of racist police. Yes. And I think yeah. that's uh, not to cut you off. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to kind no, of. No, I, I don't know. Bring, just bring your passion. I'm passionate about because just, you know, I'm 28 years old and I've never been able to trust a police officer in my life. And I can honestly say that. So, yeah, I've, I'm not going to cut you off either. I've worked on the side of law enforcement as well. And, you know, there are just a few bad apples. You know, there are going to be a few bad apples. But let's not forget as well that some of this, this is a, a systemic problem. You know, the, the policies that are in place in these law enforcement police departments, they all vary, of course. But there's issues within them that, you know, have, it's all policy written at the end of the day. 
That was something we didn't get to get into last time. Right, right. right. I was going to ask what your thoughts are. Having When you and I started talking, when we became friends, you were working at a police department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was working for the North Carolina State Highway Patrol. I was on the telecommunication side and I had a good experience there. I didn't, I, I saw, I saw how, you know, obviously with law enforcement, they have to be stern. They have to be, you know, well, they don't even have to be stern. I'll take that back. They have to be able to handle situations and size up situations. So I never dealt with any, any, any issues on my side because, you know, once you're on the side of the law, you know, they pretty much take care of each other, to be honest. So there's that, there's that mentality, but I hadn't really seen anything because I was on the telecommunication side. I hadn't seen anything that was really bad um, or anything that I could call out and say and was was wrong. Obviously, there are issues out there, though. I don't want to uh, sure. to, to turn to, you know, make it yeah. Yeah. it's all good. The concern is the, um, them taking care of the community. <laughs> right, right, right. But from what I saw at my time there and I spent a year there, my team was OK and they took care of me. Um, I knew that. Some of the people that I used to work with, we would not see eye to eye on this. And I haven't had any issues with any of any of the former people I worked with. They haven't, you know, I've been very vocal about where I stand and nobody has, you know, approached me about it or said, you know, I'm I'm just dishonoring my time there. So I don't know, you know, like I just I obviously know where, you know, systemic racism has been in police since its origin. If you know, if you look back at the slave patrols and, um, you know. And with law enforcement, that's a that's a whole nother, you know, area that we can dive into as well later, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't have any issue at my, during my time there at the law enforcement. They just took down a statue at our local airport, at one of our local airports here uh, of a Texas Ranger. The statue was after, and I forget the guy's name, but, you know, not really um, important to remember his name. But it's a, it point, is a right? statue of... Uh, from a photo of him standing outside of a, a school to ensure segregation. And then over the door, like this, just th- these images just, it absolutely shocks me. Right. Yeah. And then over the door, they have a, a pretend black person being lynched over the door. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> and somebody pulled all this where, up and they were like, where Hey, was wow. this? it was, uh, I think it's at love field. And somebody, oh somebody pulled up the history and they were like, okay, yeah. wow, we didn't even know this. Let's take this, I, you know, yeah. it's that's, the big statue right a, as you walk into Love Field. Really interesting concept too, because uh, I mean, thankfully for me, those sort of monuments have no relevance. So I, I didn't realize that. But at the same time, I find it very interesting that communities were sort of rally around protecting that kind of history. I don't, I guess me personally, it's very hard to understand why if history is that ugly, why you would want to continue to sort of worship it, right? right. Like, okay, acknowledge prote- it. I don't well, think they're if, protecting. Sorry. Oh, I don't know. I, and, and maybe it, I'm open, no, open to the opinion. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to steamroll you, but, but just take it down, make a note in the history books, call it ugly, and then put something that's appropriate up. I think part of it in some of my perspective, I went to school in South Carolina, which is a, a very Confederate state where they still actually have Confederate flag day. I think what it is, is there are Americans who feel that they are protecting the South or what they knew the South to be. But to my knowledge, I don't think that the Nazi flag is flown in Germany. Right. No, yeah. I don't even think right. it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I, so I used to cover. I'm serious. That's, that's, uh, because that's. I used to cover North and South Carolina. And yeah. I can remember driving down to Charleston to mm. go visit a customer. And I drove by the, the state capitol. 
mm-hmm. of South Carolina and they're flying the Confederate flag. This was before they took it down. Mm-hmm. I was like, what in the world? Yeah, yeah. What is this? You're picking you know? an image. That's that's and that's what I'm getting at. So I, I'm not saying like you can't you can't delete a culture either, right? But mm-hmm. there's so much awful, terrible, inhuman garbage associated with some of these monuments or, or icons that cut it out and bring something new into the fold and say these are the things I love about Southern culture. That hate is not part of it. And you move forward by shedding some of those things. Yeah. Doesn't mean you can't capture the history, but it doesn't need to be in every town square or any town squares for that matter, unless it's somber like a, you know, some of the, call them monuments, but the sort of death camps in Germany and Poland and stuff like that. Those those areas are not, not meant to be praised. It's a reminder of how terrible things were. That's... Love Field is not that kind of place. Those sorts of monuments have no business, in my opinion, in those kinds of places. Yeah. Can I throw a few things at y'all real quick? Yeah. So, Toussaint, you said, you know, kind of where where do we go from here? How do we take this? And mm-hmm. what are we doing, right? And, and you said uh, we need to crawl before we walk. And, mm-hmm. and I absolutely agree that I think that's the stage that we're at right now. And what's what's wild to me is before, like, if you think back a few years, right, I can remember standing in conversations where people would argue whether or not racism was still a thing, (laughs) right? Yeah, Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) And so I'm curious from that, well, I have have a lot I want to say on this, but I'm curious, one, if y'all have seen Acho's uncomfortable conversation with a black man um, where he sits down with Matthew McConaughey, and I think they've done two parts on that. Curious your thoughts on that, but also at the same time, like, for anyone that has participated in a conversation like that on whether or not racism is still a thing, the, I mean, if you ever for a second thought that it wasn't anymore and you you cannot see what is happening right now, and, and it's, it's like it goes back to what you're saying with Drew Brees' comments. And then if you go on Twitter and you read, when, it, when he goes to apologize and then you have like these droves of fans that are like, mm-hmm. you know, you gave in, you gave up, you know, you're bending to the left and all this, like, I'm no longer a Drew Brees fan or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, the, to me, these people react in this way. It is racism bubbling to it the surface and they is. don't, they don't realize it. I think. No, they're <laughs> right? wearing it on their sleeves and, and they, you they don't the realize that that's not a badge of honor. Right. So exactly. Yeah. You can go to the other end with NASCAR, right? Oh, NASCAR man. banning oh the Confederate gosh. flag. Yeah. And I, good on them for that, by the way. <laughs> right. But I just became, I, I don't watch NASCAR. There's so I just much. became yeah. the biggest fan of Bubba Wallace, like rooting for this dude. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm curious. I'm, yeah. And you get all these ridiculous people that are like, I'm never going to watch another race again. You know, yeah. good. Like, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's <laughs> fine. You're, you're not welcome. <laughs> so I'm going to throw all that out there. See what you guys think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as far as people not believing racism is a real thing, I don't know what bubble those people live in because systemic racism is a real thing. Police brutality is a real thing. Not receiving universal health care is a real thing. Mass incarceration is a real thing. You know, and the list goes on, you know, lack of access to opportunities you know, mm-hmm. there, there's just so, and the list just literally just can go on for days. But I think that those individuals are the, they're a bigger part of the problem than people realize. 
if not the. I think that's spot on. I I, I think I mean you nailed it right. There there may be pockets of of the United States specifically right where people haven't experienced the outward verbal hatred that we associate with racism in in a lot of cases right. Mm-hmm. The systemic stuff we just we stopped talking about it, and I think people thought ooh. Because we don't talk about it, it's going away or, or it's gone exactly. even worse, right? It, it's not, and it didn't. And unfortunately, not talking about it was probably the worst thing we could have been doing as we thought things were getting better. It's You have to root out the systemic parts. So. Yeah, and for a white person to stand there and say, I don't see it or experience it, it must not exist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Those are talk the- exactly. And I think yeah. part of the pandemic was that they're going to, America's going to impact the the higher middle class people and it appear that black people are doing better. But the problem is we're still not speaking about the root of the issue and that is right. yeah. poor right. black communities specifically they have never been impacted. So that's the real issue but they create this perception that Barack Obama's the president, you know. Yeah. The, we have, you know, these athletes and, and but we can do more right. than that, you know, and I think even to see the quietness from from that of a Coach K or a Roy Williams or Coach Cal, because I have news for you, Coach K, Zion Williamson would have got drafted if he was on Jupiter. He was going to get drafted if he wasn't playing on this planet. So it's a, it's appalling that these individuals who sit in the living rooms of even these athletes, they're quiet. They drive your programs. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sad in that way. So when you look at it just from a variety of angles, I think the, the, the people who don't acknowledge what's going on are the worst ones because those are the individuals that aren't going to hold their friends accountable, that aren't going to mm-hmm. hold their family accountable that aren't going to hold their colleagues accountable and aren't going to use the privilege that they won't be ostracized and and step out on a limb sometimes for for what's right, calling out what's wrong. Well, that's actually what I'm so hopeful about with with everything that's going on right now is that I I think it's less about, you know, those people being evil and and not doing the right thing and more about just pure ignorance, right? Mm -hmm. And and to some extent, I I think I count myself in in that group from last week for me, and I think we talked about this when we were on with Thomas, but it was realizing how wrong I was to think that we were moving in the right direction so much so that maybe my kids wouldn't need to feel like it was still so prevalent. Right. And and that was a symptom of the world that I grew up in, right? And, mm-hmm. and realizing how ignorant I was to how... Do all your points, Dusan, right? All, all of the systemic sort of racism and, and injustice that's baked into our system. And then the silence or lack of action because it's not, people aren't wearing it on their sleeves. If, if someone was doing something outwardly racist, I would have had no issue calling them out on it. But mm-hmm. I wasn't doing anything to have a conversation about or shed light on the things that are just systemically wrong with I, everything from education and city planning to you know how the workforce is built. I mean, the, the list is oh, yeah. miles long, right? Yeah. And and it all came from a position of ignorance, which really bothered me because I don't like being an ignorant person ever. And and so that was that was the big issue I had 
and and continue to have for these weeks now. And that's that's why we're having these conversations. It's why I'm so eager to yeah. just lean into them, right? But yeah, so, like root it out. <laughs> yeah. So definitely, that's the people who are we can. Those are the people I want to reach, or I think we should start trying to reach the people that have had you make you know made it up in their mind that they're not gonna budge. They know the information is out there. Uh, you don't, I'm not saying you don't want to reach out to those people, but we have to engage in a different way. And it's, it's sad to say that we won't get every apple in the bunch, but, you know, as it's the ones that are, don't, that either don't know or they're, they're, you know, scared, you know, they're, they don't, you know, they've been attached to this ideology all their whole life that there isn't anything wrong or anything going on. And so for them to, for me to call call them out, it's like, no, what do you mean? You're, you're, you're crazy. You're, you know, they're going to dismiss mm. you, you know? So that, that's what, that's where I try to come in and speak to people like that who are ignorant to that. And, yeah. um, and as for, you know, and I don't, you know, I, I, I can't, I wish I could speak for the whole black community, but I don't uh, because there is a other, other side of it that are uh, people who are angry, angry because they have to teach or, explain to people that this is our history. How do you not know that? And, you know, I don't blame them for that because that's, you know, it's, it's emotional to think about like, you know, there's people that are growing up that have no idea about even slavery. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's sad to say, you know? So yeah, I, I definitely think that is where it starts, right? It's, it's trying to educate, you know, those that are, yeah. that don't know. Even it's sad to say that you, it's, I can't say that it's sad to say that because even growing up, I think slavery wasn't really, or my history wasn't really taught to me until I got to college. And even, even mm. certain things I wasn't even aware of, like slave patrols, <laughs> you know, I just found that out last week and then I, and through, through a comedian, Dave Chappelle. And I was just like, why is it that this comedian can tell, tell me more about my history than you know, the four years, maybe I didn't pay attention enough in the four years that I went there, but, um, well, the dude's a genius. Yo, yeah. Dude, yeah he just helps. posted something this morning, right before we started doing this and, uh, talking about George Floyd. And it was, it was just crazy, man. And just, you know, he's usually a comedian, but he's actually speaking from a place of hurt <laughs> on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but yeah, so I, that's really all I have to say about that part. I, you know, racism. I want to, I want to say one thing real quick, just because a uh, point of clarification, right. Um, and I think a lot of people are in the same boat coming from where I was coming from, right? Mm-hmm. I was well aware that racism was still prevalent in the United States yeah. and that it was a problem. Yeah. What caught me off guard and what my ignorance was, was that in my community, where people were quiet about it and where people were less likely to wear it on their sleeves, mm-hmm. it was still prevalent. We just didn't talk about it. Yeah, huh. yeah And it was prevalent in the systemic ways. And that's where you're talking about the... I forget the the phrasing, but the stuff you're learning about your history, to use your words, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned about redlining last week, and I had no idea what redlining was. Mm -hmm. And and it's a systemic Mm -hmm. method of basically oppression built into the housing system governmentally from a community perspective, uh, through the financial system. And it, it blew my mind that that happened that it's still in some ways in effect in in other ways just the the artifacts are still on deeds for houses and things like that anybody that doesn't know what redlining is go just google it educate yourself it's it's sad and horrifying and 
it, it is uh, for me, it was very a, a big highlight on the kinds of things that created systemic racial injustice, right? Yeah, because yeah. you don't see it, but it's there everywhere. It's a, I think it's invisible. And I think I'm, I'm coming from a from an opposite kind of perspective than than that of Thomas, because, you know, growing up on the south side of Chicago, my mother was on the front lines um, in the 1980s when Harold Washington was running to be the first black mayor of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So I really grew up. Shout out, in, shout out to your mother, man. Under that <laughs> ilk, so I, you know, the autobiography of Malcolm X was, yeah. was something that 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 I read early on. And, same, and, I read it too. Yeah, same. And and, I'm, and, I'm, and like I said, you know, said before, like I believe there is a place for Malcolm X's, you know, in protesting. That's that's I, I like to hear that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I really like to and, hear that. And, and I think um, that's why it's it's important to understand just the different perspectives. Because mm-hmm. I like I was taught as a kid that I could never trust police officers. I was yeah. taught as a kid that I watch every single word that I say to people who yeah. don't look like me because Same. they may they may think it's offensive. That's incredible, like that. Um, yeah. And anytime a police having, officer approached me, even after having experience in law enforcement, I always carried myself in a particular way in which that I wouldn't be seen as my my other other black counterparts and i'm just black i'm just trying to be me and i can't feel but, like that but, I but the, be me. the interesting dynamic about that is like that encounter may have not been in a neighborhood that that may have warranted uh, a racist police officer acting a certain way mm-hmm. because that's the way they feel you get that mm-hmm. it's it's different when you're interacting with the police like if you're even like not to say it's not going to happen here, there, wherever, but if you're interacting with the police on a highway or something and you're getting by or whatever the case may be, that's different than an interaction with a police in an inner city neighborhood because that police officer is, can be prejudiced, can be racist. And he looks at the neighborhood as a jungle instead of looking at it to protect people. So it's great to hear that kind of, that kind of perspective as well, having, having kind of, worked on that side but i think it's the machine that the police yeah so is. that's what it is it's man it's rage against the machine <laughs> and i also think that you know there are certain individuals that may get into being a, a cop or a policeman that aren't passionate enough about it to really be in it if that makes sense that's not one right. of those roles that you can just pick up your lunch pail if that makes look sense. look at Look mm. up. Look at the requirements to become a police officer. There are more hours to become a beautician. <laughs> yeah, from what I've read in some states. You know, like these aren't high functioning. You know, don't get me wrong. There, like I said, there. Are, you know, there are people out there that are in law enforcement that are very top tier people, uh, and that's what we need. But there are there are a lot of them that don't know, have never even walked through an inner city neighborhood or any you know inner city school or you know they come from a privileged area and then come to try and be police. And, uh, and, and then you have these issues, you have the systemic issues that, you know, some of it is on purpose and some of it is just incurred through our system and interactions with one another. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a very, uh, it's, there's so much to unpack throughout all of this. <laughs> it's, 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 and it's important for people to understand it's so many years. It's a layered issue. So it's going to take a layered solution. And right. I, generations. And I yeah. think it's important Decades. as well to understand for, for allies even. It's mm-hmm. you're not gonna ask someone who just experienced domestic violence to create a plan 
after they've been abused. Right. So right. are we expected to have a plan? And, and you, you get what I'm saying? So I think. Yeah. That, no, yeah. 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 That's, a, that's a really good point, actually. That's It's interesting. It's a good metaphor. It's just yeah. it, right now it's sort of critical mass momentum is there. but And it's so embedded into our society that I, I believe I heard maybe it was D.L. Hughley. I don't want to misquote him, but I heard quote around um, the systemic racism is so American that if you protest racism, they think you protest in America. Yeah, it's, so, it, it, it's so yeah. like deep. And when you're dealing with police and the machine, they're looking at black men and women like slaves. That's the way they're trying to deal or handle them. If so, that makes so, sense. So we get to that, like we were talking, like I was mentioning earlier, the slave patrollers, that mm-hmm. is, you know, a thing that it was in, in, it's embedded I didn't know they were considered law enforcement. So that's what really, really stuck out to me. And it didn't end right after the Civil War or when we were considered free. It ended like five years in like 1870s. You know, like, why are there still slave patrollers around if we're supposed to be free? You know, like, and, you know, I don't mean to go on a tangent, but when you look at the way, you know, we talk about things like redlining or tactics to use against to oppress people look at look at uh, other countries where there has been intervention by you could say the u.s or even russia or you know when you start asking those when you start getting yeah. and like i said i don't want to tangent too far off but these are sure. mili- these are you know I've, I've studied in homeland security these are tactics used by the, our military to to yeah. coerce and and to you know influence who was that? I think it was Joe Onasek. It was a, a former, uh, um, I guess we had a few days ago, he tweeted out something to the effect of like, if, if the U.S. saw what the U.S. was doing to the U.S., the U.S. would get involved. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. I was like, yeah, you're right. And then it was just a bunch of pictures of our like uber militarized police. Mm. Well, and, and well, I saw a thing about the Scottish government basically unilaterally choosing to not provide things like rubber bullets and tear gas to, to the U.S. as an export because of some of the stuff that's going on. And it's just th- there's a problem there with anyone that does have pride in their U.S. identity. And I think some national identity is, is healthy, right? It's a good thing. It's fun. Even, but what a mess. Like, like, is this is this what we want to project to the rest of the world? And and are we willing to erode whatever sort of social justice position we've had? I mean, clearly it was built on a farce to some extent, which is it's sad. Yeah, it's it's built on a lot of building blocks of lies, essentially. Um, you know, I grew up. You know, it was told that Christopher Columbus discovered America when in reality he looted America right. from the Native yeah. Americans. So and it's so interesting now that we've reached this boiling point. It's all about the looting and and trying to pivot the narrative from the real issue. There had been a lot of issues that the government never fixed for decades. And we really reached a boiling point in terms of we don't we don't feel protected. We don't you know, it's it's those type of things that that I think just go unseen yeah, so that's a that's a that's a very good point. I mean, even when we had legis we had legislation up until the nineteen we uh, we I mean we have legislation now, of course, but like in the nineteen fifty five you know nineteen sixties era, you know we were building legislation to help you know enact civil rights and voting rights and all that kind of stuff. But even before that, we had some legislation that would consider you know give blacks rights uh, to you know 
do certain things in our society. And like you said, like there, it, it, it's, it's, it's again, hitting a boiling point. And, you know, I, are you, are you guys, is anybody here familiar about Emmett Till? There. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. great. <laughs> great. Uh, but I asked so many people that question now and they're like, who was Emmett Till? And, you know, they're like, hmm. um, but it was, you know, for those who don't know, it was a 14 year old boy who was allegedly accused of whistling at a white woman and, uh, her parents, uh, I, think, I believe it was her f- father and brother-in-law, possibly, anyway, took and went to find Emmett Till and basically lynched him and were acquitted from from yep. doing this, you know, from 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 having any guilty or wrongdoing. And they they beat they beat Emmett Till so bad that the mom wanted to do an open casket funeral to show the world what mm-hmm. had been done to her boy. And this was in 1955, you know, and and yeah. it just 14 year old kid. They yeah. beat him and lynched him. And then he went forward to Rodney King. Right. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> in Tucson, you mentioned Brianna Taylor at the beginning. Um, yeah. I just want to bring that up again, too, because I don't I don't think it's getting the press. Uh, I, yeah, I'm shocked that not. it's not getting the, the press that it needs to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched an interview uh, with I believe it was her mom yesterday just explain the her encounter with the police and what was going on and yep. it, it's it's uh, it's unbelievable i i don't even it's it's unbelievable yeah um, the, 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 the way it was executed all the lies the cover-ups mm-hmm. the i mean it's insane <laughs> and it's the machine you know there's a reason that when these type of things happen we demand out-of-state prosecution we demand that because we're thinking the prosecutors work for the police. How, how just in terms of, you know, how we're figuring the system works. So it's all part of it. You know, that's why we're not stopping until we see convictions because we've seen this before. And Breonna Taylor was killed in her home. She was an essential worker, had worked all yeah. day and was killed in her home in Louisville, Kentucky. I actually used to live in Louisville, Kentucky, and I can definitely speak to what it mirrored that of South Carolina. But, but yeah, um, just being killed in a, you know, that's part of the reason that I left new England is because I couldn't stand to be just ostracized from a, from a racial perspective by police. I've been pulled over and asked, you actually work at Dell. Wow. I've been asked that by police. I've been harassed and I have a nine o'clock meeting. Yeah, (laughs) you know, and that that is a regular thing. And it's crazy because now I feel, you know, Atlanta's a place that's that's going to be this great, you know, so that's good. But just overall, I think, you know, it's it's a sad thing what happened to to Brianna. And but unfortunately, it's not uncommon. Right. If that's something that caught the news and got covered up. So, yeah. And I think accountability is one of those things that's it's just a baseline requirement going forward, right? right? If yeah. you do something wrong, if you're one of the bad apples, you know, because that gets thrown mm-hmm. out a lot, the system has to root bad apples out. And if this system backs it up, that just means there are new layers of filth that has to get taken care of. Yeah. It's, it's not acceptable not to be held accountable. Mistakes do happen. Those kinds of mistakes arguably are unacceptable, right? And and losing your job over it or facing consequences, yeah. it just and has to be part of the equation. And to your bad apple point, I think, I don't know if you've seen the Chris Rock stand up, but it was like if, if 
he, he said something along the lines of, if you were going on a flight and your pilot said, <laughs> well, you may be able to land. Like, <laughs> would you like, would you be okay with that? There are certain <laughs> roles where yeah. there's a certain level of expertise yeah. and training that it takes, period. Yeah. Yeah. We can't yeah. like, a, okay. like he said, you know, bad apples, are, you know, are bitter, maybe a little tart, but they don't choke me yeah. out. Right. So, <laughs> you know, what? the interesting thing about that metaphor, too, is that one bad apple makes other apples go bad. Right. One good right. apple it, does not make other apples go good. Yep. Yeah. My wife gave me a science lesson the other day about that. And I was just like that. Like, why do they even why is that even a thing that, you know, there are a few bad apples if a few yeah. bad apples spoil the whole bunch, you know, the the worst metaphor to, to pick for something like this as an excuse of what about yeah. them, right, is is not I was not a good one. All right. Yeah. Well, we are uh, nearing the top of the hour here. I know Toussaint and I both have calls. We got to go jump over to. It looks like Alwyn joined. I don't know. Alwyn how did. Long ago yeah. That was. Oh, Just hey. a few minutes. Uh, I didn't, okay. We didn't get it. We didn't get a break to, to bring him into the fold. He, uh, well, Alwyn, he ended up having a conflict. We'll have to have you back on, man, because we got to shut this one down. Um, I just want to send it around the table and see if y'all have anything else you want to say right before Tyler closes it down. Yeah, I have something I want to say. I want to say just uh, I know that I have a lot of folks on my team at, at Dell Technologies that have been very um, supportive of me during this time. And just, and I know they'll be listening to this as well. So just want to give them a, a quick shout out. And um, all my people that I know will be listening back home as well in Chicago, who I let know that I'd be on a podcast and they're excited as well. So shout out to my team at Dell Technologies and Shout out to the South Side of Chicago. Black Lives Matter, right. Justice for George Floyd, Justice right. for Breonna Taylor, and the list goes on. Thank you, Tucson. Yeah, I, I just want to say uh, thank you for to everybody that I'm having these conversations with. Continue to use your voice, depend no matter what side you're on. We need to keep having these conversations. Um, Black Lives Matter, and yeah, thank you guys again for having me up here and you you know allowing me to just use my voice. I really appreciate that. Of course, man. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. Alan, I know you joined late, but do you have any closing words? Yeah, no, um, I definitely appreciate the invite. Uh, Looking forward to the next one for sure. Um, Really excited to see the conversations taking place. I wasn't sure, you know, if this was a forum that could be joined, um, I guess, un, what we're looking for here, unjudged in this forum. Uh, But yeah. Unjudged? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but, I, were you expecting to be judged? <laughs> here? I'm not sure I follow what you're saying. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what conversation Yeah, open forward. Um, for example. But uh, yeah, definitely appreciate the forum, guys, for sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll get you on here. Yeah. So thank all you guys for, for coming on and actually having this conversation with, with us, with Aaron and I, for sure. I'm, I'm glad that. Aaron and I doing this because, you know, we, we grew up together, right? We met in middle school. We've been buddies for a long time, but I'm glad we're both coming from kind of the same place and that we are willing and able um, to use something that's fairly new, but as a platform to have these conversations sort of unabashedly, right? Uncomfortable as they may be. Uh, I, I, this is huge for me. And thank you guys for letting us participate in the conversation and for, for bringing your perspective, for educating us. And I, I hope we're bringing an appropriate amount of compassion to the table for it. Right. Um, so yeah, thank you. Just thank you. But everyone that's listening, and I hope there are lots of you out there. I hope you're taking this all in. Um, I hope you want to participate in these conversations too, but that brings, uh, this episode of tech breakfast podcast to a close. Obviously today was 
a special episode, one that I genuinely hope we get to have more of, by the way. So, but uh, please give us your feedback, get involved in the conversation, see things, bear witness, use your privilege if that's the position that you're in, speak out against racism, injustice, look for the systemic stuff, educate yourself, be compassionate, learn, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Yep. Black Lives Matter. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you, everybody.